What's going on, family? Happy Monday and welcome to another edition of The Faction. I hope you guys are doing well and I hope that you've had an amazing weekend. Another very full weekend in the world of pro wrestling. We'll get into all of that. But I want to say thank you to you guys for your continued support of The Faction. So let me just start right off the top and say this. We have been working really hard on providing new content and I hope you guys are enjoying it. Whether they are the quick videos that we're hitting you with or the full podcast episodes, you guys continue to support what we're doing. Now let me also say this, Things have been pretty busy on this side of things. And so I've been trying to get more content out to you guys on a more regular basis. In fact, if you listen to our previous episode, you'll know that I actually recorded it a week ago, but things got so busy, I wasn't able to get it out. So my apologies there. I hope you enjoyed the content. Nonetheless, we're going to continue to have great videos coming your way. We're going to continue to have obviously great podcasts coming your way. So thank you for your support of things connected to the faction and And thank you for your feedback as well. In fact, today we're going to be implementing one of the items that one of our listeners talked to us about. So I'll tell you about that a little bit later in the show. If you are brand new to the faction, welcome aboard. We really enjoy you. There could be a number of places you may have heard about us. And I thank you that of all of the wrestling podcasts that you can actually connect with, you're choosing to connect with us today. So thank you so much. Remember, you can follow us at The Faction Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find us via podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or any of the other places you check out your podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to our podcast. Make sure you're following us on the socials. And make sure you click that wonderful notification button as well so you'll know when we release new content. So there's quite a bit to talk about that happened this week, and we're going to get into a number of things. I want to go all the way back to this past Wednesday. This past Wednesday, another episode of AEW Dynamite. Of course, Friday, AEW Rampage. And I want to make a blanket statement about all things wrestling right now. We are in a great era of pro wrestling. Let me say that again. We are in a great era of pro wrestling. And here's why. Because right now, the content is really, really good across the board. Whether it's WWE, AEW, Impact, New Japan, all of these organizations are really giving us some great, great content. Now, with that said, we know for sure some things about Forbidden Door. Two matches have been announced. Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. That is for the IWGP United States Championship. We know that Brian Danielson will be taking on Kazuchika Okada in an absolute dream match to determine the greatest wrestler in the world. Like, all of those things are really, really good. Now, I actually did a video about this and released it late last week. If you haven't checked it out, either check our page here or you can check my personal page at Bonnerfide on TikTok and on Instagram, where I talked about an understanding that I'm now getting relative to AEW. So we're going to have that full conversation right now. After watching New Japan's Dominion pay-per-view, after watching Double or Nothing, and really following all things AEW since its inception, I realized that on one hand, a lot of people have been a wee bit upset with the way that AEW has done on-screen business, meaning, you know, we say that they don't 
tell stories very well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized something finally after the announcement of these two matches, recognizing that this past Wednesday on Dynamite, there were no new matches announced. And we are at that point less than three weeks away from this pay-per-view. Right now, we're standing at less than two weeks away from Forbidden Door. And that's when it finally hit me. It's taken almost four years for it to hit me, but it's finally hit me. AEW is not catered for the casual fan. Let me say that again. AEW is not catered for the casual wrestling fan. AEW is chosen to program and create for the hardcore wrestling fan who follows more than one promotion. Now, what do we think about this? Well, let me give you my thoughts on it. And my thoughts are pretty simple. A lot of us were upset with the WWE with the way they do business. For instance, historically, the WWE has created content for the casual wrestling fan. This actually goes all the way back to the 80s when Vince McMahon Jr. took over the company and we started seeing more cartoon character-like figures. Everybody in pro wrestling had a job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was because WWE had created a product that was catering to the casual fan. And those who were hardcore wrestling fans found it problematic. For instance, when these wrestlers would come into the WWE, the bulk of their history would be wiped out. They'd be given a new name. They'd be given a new identity. I mean, think about how people felt. Those who grew up in the days of Dusty Rhodes, when Dusty Rhodes came over to WWE and was wearing the polka dots, people could not stand it. And even if we go current, right, I think about people like Taya Valkyrie for instance when she came over to NXT which NXT was really kind of the hardcore wrestling brand of WWE she was given a new name right a lot of people who have come over to WWE were given new names and it really wasn't until recently where some of their history would be talked about that's because WWE has created a product that is designed to reach the casual fan. Now, here's what I want to say with that. The reason AEW was created, just think about this. To know about AEW and its creation and to be excited about it, you already had to have watched another product, whether that was Ring of Honor or New Japan, where the elite was really doing their thing, whether that was Cody becoming Ring of Honor champion, whether that was the Young Bucks and all they did in Ring of Honor and in New Japan, whether it was Kenny Omega and his matches with Kazuchika Okada becoming the IWGP world champion, like all of those things happened in other companies. And they took what they did and created AEW. I don't know that we initially saw that. I know I didn't see it that way until I started really having to pay attention. And now that the company is around four years old, we can really establish that, yes, they are a company that is designed for the informed and hardcore wrestling fan. That's not bad and that's not good. It's an alternative, which is what AEW was always intended to be. Now, here's another reason why AEW can't really compete with the WWE. It's not that they don't have TV time. It's not that they don't have money. And it's not even that they don't have enough television shows. It's that they have two completely different 
audiences. Some people try to make KFC compete with McDonald's. Well, yes, they both do fast food, but they're not after the same audience, right? You could say the same thing about Chick-fil-A versus Burger King, not the same audience, which is why, and I know I'm just kind of, I'm on a tangent, but I'm bringing it back, which is why a couple of years ago when there was the whole chicken sandwich war, you know, who had the best spicy chicken sandwich, and it obviously started between Popeye's and Chick-fil-A, well, then we go into places like McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's, all trying to get into it, but here was the problem. Chick-fil-A and Popeye specialized in chicken as their primary product. Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's all focused on the burger. So the chicken sandwich was kind of an addendum or kind of an accessory to what their main item was. Meanwhile, you take a spot like Chick-fil-A where what they produce is in the name, chick Filet, a chicken filet, a filet of chicken, a chicken sandwich. So why did I use that entire analogy? To prove a point that when your audiences, your target audiences are not the same, you're not really competing in the same space. So yes, AEW and WWE both do pro wrestling, but they even call it different things, right? AEW refers to themselves as the best pro wrestling company on the planet. WWE has called themselves historically sports entertainment. Two different fans, two different products who happen to have in common a thing called pro wrestling in a wrestling ring. Now, I just had that entire explanation for you so that we don't try to overlay WWE's expectations onto AEW and vice versa, okay? That's why. So comparing the two products isn't the same. It's really why you can't even compare WWE and New Japan. Different audiences, different product, okay? So understanding that, that's why there's not really a story needed for Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada, because if this is for the informed wrestling fan, the hardcore wrestling fan, you've done one of two things. You either watch the New Japan product and you understand why this is a big deal, or you're willing to do your research on the product and figure out why it's a big deal. So that's why Tony Khan and the company, they don't feel the need to tell you the backstory behind it. And they can just announce a match and you can get excited for it. It also explains why they end up not really naming their card until about a week before. Because they know as wrestling fans are going to give us a card that we're so excited about that, wow, we're going to tune in, we're going to drop our money, and we're going to enjoy it. So I just literally spent about 10 minutes talking about AEW, why they are the way they are. And here's the thing. If you're interested in the AEW product as a pro wrestling fan, you will watch. And then you'll decide if it's for you or if it's not. That's the other cool thing I love about pro wrestling right now is that you don't have to connect to every product that's out there because there are products with different slants designed for different audiences. The NWA is not necessarily designed for the WWE fan per se. Impact falls somewhere in the middle of all of that. And you can figure out which brand and presentation of pro wrestling you enjoy and you can support that. 
Okay. So with that said, I thought AEW had a great week. They're continuing to grow. Great matches they continue to give us. Though I will say, I was a bit surprised at the AEW international title match between Swerve Strickland and Orange Cassidy went on first instead of last. Though anywhere you put Orange Cassidy, it's going to be a great match and it's wildly consistent for the AEW Dynamite brand. So congratulations to AEW for what I feel like was another great week. One more thing before we go to break real quick, and that's to talk about something else that happened this weekend, and that was Impact Wrestling had yet another pay-per-view. If you remember just two weeks ago, they had a pay-per-view, and now they've given us another pay-per-view event, as this time they've given us Against All Odds. The Against All Odds pay-per-view is leading us into their big event called Slammiversary, which happens in July. So let's just run through some of the results, and then we'll kind of talk about the super big takeaways from here. The pre-show began with Kylan King, who's one half of the Knockouts Women's Tag Team Champions. She defeated Nevaeh. From there, Joe Hendry successfully defended the Digital Media Championship against Dirty Dango. Then once the pay-per-view began, Frankie Kazarian defeated Eddie Edwards. The Impact World Tag Team Champions, ABC, that's Ace Austin and Chris Bay, defeated The Good Hands, that's Jason Hotch and John Schuyler. In a dog collar match, you heard me right, Masha Slamovich defeated Killer Kelly. Now, I've seen quite a few dog collar matches. I've not seen one between two women. This one was wild, for sure. Chris Sabin makes history, defeating Trey Miguel for the X Division Championship, becoming the first ever nine-time X Division Champion. In the first ever 8-4-1 match, Bully Ray, Jonathan Gresham, Heath, and Nick Aldis defeated Moose, Mike Bailey, Rich Swan, and PCO. The concept of the 841 match is it starts as an eight-man tag match. The winning team will then immediately battle in a fatal four-way, and the winner becomes the one, the number one contender. So then in the fatal four-way match, it was Nick Aldis who would defeat Bully Ray, Jonathan Gresham, and Heath to become the number one contender for the Impact World Championship. In tag team action, Knockouts World Champion Deanna Perrazzo and Trinity defeated Giselle Shaw and Savannah Evans. From there, in an Ohio street fight, the team of OVE, that's Sammy Callahan, Jake Crist, and Madman Fulton defeated The Design, that's Diener, Angels, and Khan, in a rather brutal match. And in the main event, the Impact World Championship was on the line, as Alex Shelley defeats Steve Macklin to become the new Impact World Champion. So let's talk about some takeaways. First of all, an amazing event for Impact, no doubt about it. They continue to deliver in the space of pay-per-view as well as weekly TV. Very interesting to see the tag team of Deanna Perrazzo and Trinity. They will be battling each other at Slammiversary for the Impact Knockout World Championship. So that'll be fun. They certainly are very kind. They are loving to each other. Will they need to be angry with each other to make this a great match? We still have a few weeks before that, so time will certainly tell. The big takeaways, of course, are the title changes as the Motor City Machine Guns, who are known for their tag team expertise, each won individual gold, taking their role atop impact. Chris Sabin being a nine-time X Division champion, 
is very, very significant. And it says again that veterans and the day one superstars from Impact, yeah, they really do matter in the world of Impact, such as the case for Alex Shelley. 20 years in the business, who has trained and had a hand in so many of the major superstars we see now across AEW, WWE, and the entire wrestling world. Alex Shelley, for the first time, becomes the Impact World Champion. You know, last year, he was the IWTV World Champion. He would lose that title to AC Mack at the top of January last year. So he's been winning world championships in varying spaces, but for him to win this in Impact was a big deal. Now, there's also a part of me that wonders, was the design, no pun intended, for Steve Macklin to become a transitional champion or was the thought process, hey, Steve Macklin is going to hold this title, but he's not the plan for Slammiversary, particularly with Nick Aldis returning. So now you have Nick Aldis versus Alex Shelley for the Impact World Championship happening at Slammiversary, which I think is a mammoth match if you understand the history of Impact Wrestling. So very exciting times for sure for Impact Wrestling, a major pay-per-view. You can actually check it out on Impact Plus, which is their streaming platform, or it's available on Fight TV and in other spaces. When we come back, we'll shift our focus to the WWE because some major things happened over the weekend regarding the WWE Women's Division, as well as a major development with Money in the Bank. And we'll introduce a brand new segment courtesy of one of our our faction faithful listeners. We'll talk more about that when we come back. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm going to start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were going to start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. Hey, wow. How about that? Oh. The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here. Lord, a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year is going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a win, there is a U, there will always be S-H-W. 
Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yo, 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 it's your boy JTG, aka the author of Damn Why I Write This Book 2 How to Play the Game, and you are listening to the faction on Bonafide Radio. Cheer! All right, let's shift our focus to the WWE. A big weekend for the WWE, and a lot of these things took place on SmackDown. So first, let's talk about what's happening in the women's division. I've been hearing your comments. We've been talking about this on several spaces. A lot of people have been wondering what is really going on with the women's division in WWE. After all, the Raw Women's Champion was drafted to SmackDown. The SmackDown Women's Champion was drafted to Raw. The NXT Women's Tag Team Champions were drafted to SmackDown, and we went a solid month with women's titles seemingly displaced, and there was no mention of why. So there was no attempt to switch titles, which obviously didn't go well the last time WWE tried that and these titles were defended the Raw Women's Championship the SmackDown Women's Championship defended on opposing brands so what do we make of all of this well let's go back because really at Night of Champions was the first time we saw obviously a new world championship presented when Seth Rollins would defeat AJ Styles to become the new world heavyweight champion then in the celebration for Roman Reigns 1000 plus day reign as universal champion he was presented with a new universal championship belt well the trend continued this weekend on Smackdown as Asuka was presented with a brand new WWE Women's Championship. This now takes the place of what was known as the Raw Women's Championship. Now, this is significant for a number of reasons. Obviously, the talk in the IWC, and we've even mentioned it, was that it's time to take away these brand-specific women's championships. After all, On the men's side of things, you didn't have the Raw World Champion or the SmackDown World Champion. You had the World Heavyweight Championship and the Universal Championship or the WWE Championship. So if we're going to have levity and parity across all spaces between men and women, then this title, which is considered to be a world title, should not be deemed brand specific. So if you didn't think that the WWE listens, well, they do. So now we have a WWE women's champion, and that champion is now Asuka. So that automatically lends ourselves to ask the question, what will be the future of the SmackDown Women's Championship? I imagine we will find that out sometime tonight. I'm guessing that it could be called the World Women's Championship or the Universal Women's Championship. We'll obviously find that out tonight, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the belt design will be. So let's talk about the belt design, okay? Because the belt design for the new WWE Women's Championship, well, let's talk about that, okay? It's clear that there is uniformity between the men and women's championship, much like we saw with the WWE title and the universal title. The only difference was the color and the strap. The undisputed WWE Universal Championship now has the black strap with the all gold inlay. And admittedly, I didn't like it, certainly with its reveal, 
Maybe it'll grow a bit more on me. Now then, for the women's championship, I was initially underwhelmed when I saw it because, again, I think these reveals for these new belt designs should be just that a new belt design, right? It shouldn't just be kind of a different color of something we've already seen. Case in point, the World Heavyweight Championship, which is an ode clearly to the former World Heavyweight title, the big gold belt from WCW and the NWA. In my opinion, it also has a feel of that new modern design of the AEW World Championship, but it is definitely a new belt, which now makes me wonder, if on Monday Night Raw, Rhea Ripley will be presented some belt that resembles the design of what Seth Rollins has. Obviously, again, we'll find that out tonight. With all of that said, for some reason, I like this new design of Asuka's championship. And when I say new design, I simply mean new color because that's really what's new to it outside of the inlay being gold. For whatever reason, that gold on that white feels pretty right. I guess it's growing on me, and uh, I guess that works, so I guess that's kind of cool. So that's kind of neat, and so shout out to the WWE. Again, I would like a new design. I feel like a new design would be strong, it would be innovative, but we'll see what happens, of course, with Rhea Ripley and the whatever the new women's championship is going to be called. We'll certainly see that. So there's that. We also found out that, guess who's back? Charlotte Flair. It's interesting to me that Charlotte Flair always shows up when there's a new championship around. Charlotte Flair is back after not seeing her since WrestleMania. She obviously took some time off and she jumps the line. Now, her jumping the line actually means a few things. One, there is the thought of privilege, which I want to be careful going down that road, but yeah, the Charlotte privilege, the queen privilege, the former champion privilege. But what does that mean for Bianca Belair, who has done what she was asked to do and seemingly gets overlooked by an automatic agreement to Charlotte battling Asuka for the new WWE Women's Championship? Here's what I think. I think this gives us what many people have been asking for, especially my guys over at Wrestle Extra, some new character development for Bianca. Bianca clearly had an edge this past Friday night. Less makeup, no ponytail, a bit edgier in her speech. I like it. I like it a lot. And if this is edgy Bianca and the route that we're going for her to get what she deserves, count me in for all of this. I am here for that. So we're going to see where that goes. With that said, we found that out. We also found out that we're going to have a unification match for the WWE Women's Tag Team titles and the NXT Women's Tag Team titles. This is something that makes a lot of sense. I initially thought this might happen at Night of Champions, but no, it'll happen very, very soon on SmackDown, actually. I think it's happening in a couple of weeks. This is significant because what it is is also a big reset on the women's tag team division in all of WWE. It's pretty clear at this point that the NXT women's tag team division has somewhat been gutted, and that's okay. It's better to have natural tag teams, organic tag teams, and random tag teams. Now, I also hope that this means that we're going back to 
the initial intent of the women's tag titles, which is to be defended on all three brands. Obviously, we'll find that out in a little bit as well. But it means that we're going to have Alba Fire and Isla Dawn take on Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey to determine the new undisputed unified WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. Now, does this mean that we'll have new tag team title belts? I don't know. I hope this doesn't mean that it's an automatic win for Rousey and Baszler because I actually really like Alba Fire and Isla Dawn a lot better as tag team champions obviously we'll find that out in a couple of weeks yeah because the other problem to me is having ronda rousey and Shayna baszler head to nxt to defend the women's tag titles just doesn't seem to make sense because it doesn't seem like there's any women's tag team in nxt that would get a fair shake against them but we learned that on smackdown as well and then there was another something that happened on smackdown that i think is important for us to dialogue about And that is the update relative to Money in the Bank. Money in the Bank previously was known as the opportunity for you to cash in your chips if you win to get a shot at a world championship at a time of your choosing. Last year, we saw the Money in the Bank cashed in on the United States Championship, which for many felt pretty weird. Then a couple of weeks ago, we heard Gunther tell Matt Riddle, hey, if you win money in the bank and you are planning on cashing in against me, it's not going to work well for you. It was officially announced by way of commentary. And again, it was just kind of thrown in there that indeed money in the bank this year will allow the winner to cash in on any champion of their choosing. So that opens the field up where we're not just talking about the Universal Champion or the World Heavyweight Champion, we're talking about the Intercontinental title, the U.S. title. We're talking about perhaps the women, any of the women's championships. And we're talking about all of the NXT championships, including the North American title, the NXT title, the NXT women's title. That makes things very interesting. You could argue that it even puts the tag team titles up for grabs as well if the person who wins finds a tag team partner. Is this good or is this bad? What are your thoughts? I'm going to share mine right now. And my thoughts are really simple. I think this is great. I think this puts every champion on notice. I think this adds a lot of intrigue. At any point, any of these titles could be cashed in on. And that makes things unpredictable. And we love a good cash in. So my question to you is, which championship would you like to see cashed in on after Money in the Bank come July the 1st? Let us know right now on the socials. All right, before we go, we want to introduce a new segment and thank you guys for rolling with us. We're just kind of rolling and trying to catch up on some things. One of the new elements that comes as a suggestion from our faction faithful is coming from Carol Reed or Carl Reed. I hope I got the pronunciation right. I think it's Carol. Anyway, he reached out and he asked, could we do a segment that kind of dealt with this day in history? Since everybody doesn't necessarily know the history of what's been happening on certain days in pro wrestling and other people who may have lived through the history weren't necessarily wrestling fans during that time. I think it's a great idea. It's something that we've been doing on WWT Live for a little while now. So why not bring it 
here. So I've got two quick factoids we'll run over before we get out of here. One of them happened on this particular day in 1987, where the final of a tournament took place to crown the first ever IWGP heavyweight champion. This is, of course, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It was held in Tokyo, Japan. As the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Antonio Inoki defeated Masa Saito to win the first ever IWGP heavyweight championship. He would hold on to that title for 325 days, and it would be the only time he would ever hold the championship. Of course, Antonio Inoki passed last year. He is celebrated highly as the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's interesting because New Japan Pro Wrestling was founded in 1972, but it wasn't until 15 years later that they would crown their first IWGP heavyweight champion. So congratulations. And by the way, in case you're interested, one would think it would be called the New Japan World Heavyweight Championship, but it's not. It's called the IWGP Heavyweight Championship because IWGP stands for International Wrestling Grand Prix. Very cool. Fun fact. You might need it on Jeopardy someday. All right. Here's another important fact that happened today. Some of you may have lived through this. Some of you may have actually been watching the product during this time. But on this day in 2005, WWE presents the iconic ECW One Night Stand pay-per-view. It happens in the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. Now, you've got to understand the significance of this. The Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City was a major space for ECW. ECW, whose headquarters was in Philadelphia, spent quite a bit of time in New York City. ECW is the brand that really introduced hardcore wrestling to the United States, and we still see elements of ECW in all of pro wrestling today, whether it was, of course, Paul Heyman, who was in charge of ECW and created the organization, whether it is, of course, the hardcore wrestling we see in a number of places, or even the introduction of Lucha Libre to the United States, because before we ever had a cruiserweight division in WCW, we had these extreme cruiserweights in ECW, and in fact, many will note, that for WCW to create their cruiserweight division, they actually pulled from ECW's cruiserweight division. So we're talking about Psychosis, Juventud Guerrera, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio. All of them were a part of ECW before ever heading to WCW. ECW would wrap up in 2001 after filing for bankruptcy, and the brand itself had not appeared anywhere until this day in 2005 with ECW's one-night stand pay-per-view. Now, the design of it was that it would be just that, a one-night reunion of ECW bringing together all of its past stars and the like. This was a rousing, overwhelming success. It was such a success that ECW's one-night stand would come back in 2006 that was the infamous night where RVD would cash in his money in the bank contract to defeat John Cena and become both the ECW and WWE champion. That level of success led to the revamping of the ECW brand where it would become what many would call WWECW. 
Very interesting times, and maybe one day we'll talk about the ECW brand under the WWE heading. Nonetheless, there were seven matches that took place this night. It included Lance Storm defeating Chris Jericho, Super Crazy defeating Little Guido, and Tajiri in a triple threat match or a three-way dance. Rey Mysterio defeated Psychosis. Sabu defeated Rhino. Chris Benoit defeated Eddie Guerrero. Mike Awesome defeated Masato Tanaka, which, by the way, that particular feud was a massive feud in ECW, really defined the last couple of years of that product. And in the main event, the Dudley Boys defeated the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. That seven-match card really brought back what we know as ECW. ECW would last just for a little period before WWE would end up taking that particular brand away and ironically replacing the ECW brand with NXT. And maybe we'll dig into that history on another day. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. We'll be doing this a lot more to help get you up to speed on history. And listen, I apologize. It feels like today was a long episode, but if you rocked with us the whole way, thank you so much. May more jewels be added to your crown. Let us know what you'd like for us to talk about in future episodes, and we'll be sure to take care of that for you. Until next time, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, who is the EP, by the way, of Sherry, and helped make things happen to bring Trinity on that show last week, which was amazing. Shout out to you, John Murray. Representing for all my good brothers, my name is Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I my people, here we go.